you don't know me, my name's David. I'm the team leader for the Woodlands Church family. And we're actually a family of, uh, a church family based on seven different sites around the city and region at the moment. And um, we have a, a team of people who help lead the whole thing. And it's great to have, uh, so when, when you come to Woodlands, when you're part of, of Woodlands, you're not just coming to a local church. We're, we're together wanting to be a network of communities that can see the whole of Bristol transformed by the love and power of God. And tonight we've got one of our senior leadership team called Dave. You may not have met him before. Um, he actually leads the community church in Southmead, which is one of our historic church plants. It, was, it, was, it started really before Woodlands was here. Um, and Dave um, actually cares about this church. He cares about you. He's involved in our senior leadership team, in our finance committee. He um, has been involved in, in so many things behind the scenes to really help you thrive, as well as the church community that leads in um, Southbeat. So I just want to say that, actually, because we're, we're here for a bigger purpose than just our own individual spirituality or just our own congregation. We want to see Bristol a better place. We want to, we want to see the, the hallmarks of heaven on it. And I, I think Dave is really passionate about doing that. And in fact, one reason why the community church meets in Southmead is because Southmead is a community that is less privileged than the neighbouring community where the original church had its base, actually. They moved down the road to Southmead because the life expectancy of people in Southmead was about nine years shorter than people in Henley's. So, well, we need to get along and serve this community. And so that's Dave Roderick. He is Welsh. Forgive him that. Um, <laughs> no, we, 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 <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> Just give, give Dave a really big welcome. He's coming up. And by the way... And, and just to reinforce the kind of church family thing, it's great to have Annie Crossman, who's part of our church family in Highgrove, <laughs> singing tonight. So there she is. So thank you, Annie. We are family. You know? So Dave, come let's pray with you. Yeah. Father, I want to thank you for Dave's spiritual leadership, not only in our church family, but broadened to that. Thank you for his experience as a follower of Jesus over many, many years. And we pray, Lord God, that as he speaks to us tonight, his words would be imbued with the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Dave. Very nice welcome. Lovely to be with you all. I can't see anything, so I'm assuming there's some people out there. Um, I'd like to start by reading our passage. So I'm last in the series. We've been looking at the Beatitudes, um, and I've got the final two. So if you could put that up on the screen, that would be a big help. There we go. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let me start by asking you a question. In your family, do you have a family likeness? When you look at your brothers and sisters, when you look at your kids, when you look at your parents, is there something that makes you all look similar? In my family, it's not good looks, it's not intelligence. But there is something that in many ways is a curse and an affliction that has been handed down from generation to generation in my family. And that family likeness is the 29-inch inside leg. It does not matter how tall you are in my family, you will have a 29-inch inside leg. Up and down this city of Bristol, in changing rooms everywhere, you can hear the cries of Rodericks shouting, damn you, Dave Roderick, in your inside leg. It's very difficult to get trousers that fit when you have a very short inside leg. 
There is a reason I mention this. Because family likeness is one of the points Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. Because when he says, children of God, that phrase, children of, is a phrase that was used in the ancient world to explain something that has a likeness to something else. So when you read the New Testament, you'll see time and time again this phrase copying up. Jesus gets into an argument with the Pharisees once over who are the children of Abraham. So children of means to have the likeness of, to behave within the character of. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, what he's saying is, if you want to display the likeness of God in the world, you will be a peacemaker. So it's interesting, isn't it? We often think of ourselves as children of God, children of light. These are passages and phrases that we read in the New Testament. But actually, Jesus, when he's, up, when he's putting his finger on it, when he's saying, how do you know what the family likeness is within the kingdom of God? It's peacemakers. That's the phrase he uses. And this is bizarre. Because here we are, right at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. This is the beginning of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. So people are listening in, wondering who is this guy and what's he going to do. And more than that, they're looking for a Messiah. Because in the ancient world, they had lots of ideas about what the children of God look like. So if we could have the picture of the very wonderful Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So that's the rock as Hercules. Hercules was the child of a god in Greek myths. So in the ancient world, the children of God were typically mighty warriors, people who changed the world by force. And that is the image we get again and again in the world around us, isn't it? That ultimately, if we want to see the world changed, it's about having more weapons than the other guy, a bigger army than the other guy, being more forceful than the other guy. There's actually a phrase that's been coined, strength through peace, or peace through strength, rather. That was, if we have that slide, actually, it was coined by the guy on the left. The guy on the left is Hadrian, the Emperor Hadrian, and he coined this phrase, peace through strength. He also coined a phrase that all parents are familiar with, and that is peace through threat. That is something, as parents, we all use regularly to maintain peace in our homes. The guy on the right, Ronald Reagan, and the Republican Party ever since has had peace through strength as one of their mantras. And this is the image the world keeps coming back to. The way you get peace is by winning the battle. But in the upside-down kingdom of God, it's not like that. And Jesus, as he explodes onto the scene, makes it clear to everyone, you're expecting a Messiah that's going to bring peace by kicking the Romans out, by winning mighty victories and battles. And here we are, right at the start, he declares, peacemaking is what makes you a child of God. So he's warning them right at the beginning that the kingdom of God is not like earthly kingdoms. It doesn't work the way the world works. It's very, very different. And he says, the children of God, the people who will see the kingdom of God coming in this world, will be peacemakers. So in order for us to understand that, the first thing we need to understand is what do we mean by peace? Because for many of us, peace is the absence of conflict. It means stopping struggle, stopping strife. 
But that's not the biblical view of peace. The biblical view of peace is so much bigger than that. Some of you will be familiar with the phrase shalom. And this is Dave Roderick's translation of shalom. And it is harmony with God, ourselves, others, and our world. Harmony with God, ourselves, others, and the world. And this is the beautiful picture of peace that we get at the beginning and the end of the Bible. In Eden, what do we see in Eden? We see man living in harmony with God, each other, within themselves, and with the world around them. And we see the same picture at the end of Revelation. So the peace of God, this shalom wholeness, this harmony, is what the word peace actually is talking about. And the key thing to bear in mind there is, in this sense, peace is the presence of something, not the absence of something. All too often we think of peace as the absence of something. But the biblical view actually is the presence, the harmony, that relationship, that God presence with us that is such a positive thing rather than the absence of something. So how, once we've understood what peace is and this big picture of peace that's part of God's big story of salvation for this world and for us, how can we then be peacemakers? What does it look like for us to be peacemakers in the world around us? Well, I thought it'd be helpful to give you a little thing to remember. And it's very straightforward. It's in, it's, sorry, it's up, it's in, and it's out. Okay, so if harmony, if peace is harmony with God, ourselves, and with others, if we're going to be peacemakers, we need to think about it in terms of up, in, and out. And in that order. You need to get the upright before you do the in, before you can do the out. Up, in, and out. So first off, up. Up is peace with God. We read in Colossians, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here the Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, is saying, Jesus is the source of our peace with God. That in Jesus, God has reconciled us back to God. He's saying that ultimately, you guys were probably heading off in your own direction, doing your own thing, ignoring God. But because of Jesus, when you turn around and put your trust in him, you are welcomed into God's presence. You find you are reconciled into right relationship with God. And a little bit later this evening, when we take communion, we're celebrating that fact that God has reconciled us in Christ to himself. We recognize the sacrifice of Jesus that makes it possible for us to enter with confidence into God's presence. But the thing we need to remember when we are looking for peace is that peace is found in a person. Peace is in Christ alone. In Jesus alone do we find peace. And we live in a world that is looking for peace in 101 different places. I don't know about you, I sometimes like to go on holiday in the hope that that will give me peace. A little while ago in October, my wife and I went off to lovely West Wales, a taste of heaven. And whilst we were there, we had a brilliant time. I was so relaxed, it was beautiful. We're driving home, we're on the M4, 
We haven't even got to Port Talbot yet. One text message to my wife that she unhelpfully read out loud was enough to rob me of all my peace in a heartbeat. Because that's the issue. Nature doesn't give you peace. Peace is found in a person. True peace is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. As I was preparing this talk, I was thinking of a picture. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus and the disciples are in a boat and a storm kicks up and Jesus is asleep in the boat. And the disciples are rowing harder. They're trying their best to save their lives in a storm that they think is going to kill them all. And then they realize that Jesus is in the boat. So they wake him up. And what does Jesus do? He just says, peace be still. And the storm is calmed. And I just had this picture as I was preparing this, that there are some people here today who you've got a storm raging all around you. And you're currently trying to row harder. You're currently trying to sail yourself out of the mess, sail yourself out of this difficult situation, when the answer you need is asleep in the boat next to you. That what we need to do sometimes is turn our eyes from the storm, from all that's going on around us, and focus on Jesus, the source of peace. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The answer to some of the storms we're facing at the moment is asleep in the boat next to you. And you've just got to realize that, turn and get him up. <laughs> Talk to him, get him involved in what's going on in your situation. The other picture I had as I was preparing this, now I'm, I must admit, sometimes I like to play a game on my phone. My wife says I do it way too much. But there's this ridiculous game you can play where there's a water source at the top and you have to align all the pipes all the way down until the water can flow from the top to the bottom. Has anybody ever played that game or is it just me? Yeah, nice to know there are other people out there wasting hours of their lives. So the point is, at that picture came to me with that, that, word of, um, that word from the prayer by St. Francis of Assisi, make me a channel of your peace. There was just this sense in which we just need to align ourselves with the source of peace in order to see his peace flowing through us and in us, which leads us neatly on to the next one. We've done up, now we're going to do in. Peace within us. And here's a great phrase for you. I coined this myself. You can have this for free. We have to be peaceful before we can be peaceful. See what I did there? You can have that for free. You can tell your friends you made it up yourself. We have to be peaceful before we can be peaceful. In other words, we have to have peace within us before we can see peace around us. And that sometimes can be really tricky. Because I think sometimes we think having peace within us is achieving some sort of Zen state. You know, like that kind of meditation, om, completely at peace. But actually, I don't think it works like that. I think ultimately, peace within us sometimes is about choice. Peace within us is about how sometimes we respond to the situations around us. So here's the thing. Sometimes things are going on in our lives and you're starting to feel fear, anger, or stress. And you have a choice. 
Do you ride the crazy train up and go with that? Or do you try and stop? Do you take a breath? Do you ground yourself? Do you take a moment and do you try and go in the opposite direction? Do you choose to turn away from giving into those negative emotions and choose to seek Jesus and his peace? Because that's a conscious choice sometimes. Sometimes we have to make that decision as these feelings start to rise up within us to not go with them, but to go in the opposite direction. It's interesting in Philippians, Paul writing to the church there says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like there's a transaction that happens. In prayer, we come to God with all our fear, our anxiety, our stress, all the things that are basically leading us in the wrong direction, and we give them to him. And if we let go of them, he can give us his peace, which passes understanding, which guards our hearts and our minds. But as well as prayer, we also need to be self-aware. If you want to be a peacemaker, you need to know what's going on inside you. You need to be aware of how you're doing. You need to be aware before you wade into someone else's situation, what your baggage looks like. What's going on with you? I used to run a recovery group, and one of the key acronyms is HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Before you issue any advice to someone going through a tough time, check yourself. Am I hungry? Because that may well result in a slightly terse response. Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I t- whatever's going on with me? Am I self-aware enough to know I need to take a breath? I need to do some stuff work on myself before I get involved in somebody else's situations. So in. This church, of course, is the home of wholeness. If Claire was here, she'd be on the front row going, Dave, mention homeless. The wholeness course is a brilliant place to start that process of doing some work on the in, doing some work on yourself before you get involved in bringing peace or taking peace into any other situations. So finally, out. How do we see peace around us? There's a bit where Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection and he says, he came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So as we go into the world as peacemakers, as we go into the world in some ways as peace bearers, people carrying the peace of God, We do it in the way Jesus did it. He is our example. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. So it's almost like he's saying, here's some peace. Now take that out into the world in the way I would do it. And how does he do it? Well, I have some words for you from another great wise Welshman, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said this, we need to take the peace into the world with humility. The peacemaker is one who is not always looking at everything in terms of the effect it has on himself. I'll say that again. The peacemaker is one who is not always looking at everything in terms of the effect it has on himself. Or to put it in more common terms, it's not all about you. (laughs) 
If we go into situations wanting to see God's peace transform them, it can't be about us. If we make it about us, we won't see peace happen. If we make it about us, we won't connect people with the source of peace. We won't point people to the source of peace. We'll actually be wading in, pointing people towards us and how great we think we are. So we need to be going into these situations with a sense of humility, recognizing silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We need to connect people with Jesus, not with us. So we go into those situations with humility, looking to point people towards Jesus and not us. The second great piece of wisdom from my fellow Welshman is this. He says we need to go into these situations with wisdom. And one of the first things in making peace is knowing when not to speak. How hard is that? My daughter was once asked, what does your dad do? And her response was, he's a talker. I think she meant preacher, but I think she probably, well, maybe not. But the point is, all of us, when confronted with a friend in need or a family member going through a difficult situation, our immediate reaction is to start telling them what we think they should be doing or what changes they need to make. Whereas actually what Lloyd-Jones is saying there is in some ways perhaps we need to start by listening. Perhaps we need to start by being present. Perhaps we need to start by keeping our mouths closed and start praying for the person in the situation before we dare say anything. We need wisdom to know how best to respond. So here's a question for you to ask you for this coming week. Are you an escalator or a de-escalator? Now, if you turn to the person next to you, if they know you well, they'll be able to answer this for you. If there's a situation going on, when you get involved, do you escalate things or de-escalate things? When there's gossip going on in the office, when your mates are slagging someone off, do you escalate the situation by wading in with your own version of events or do you de-escalate? This week... Wherever you find yourself, how about you try de-escalating? Let's all try to be de-escalators this week, rather than escalators. The third point that I think as we take, as we go into the world looking to connect people with God's peace, we need to be prepared that it's going to cost. Because just like Jesus, when he stepped into the world to reconcile us to God, to bring God's peace to us, it cost him everything. So as we go out into the world looking to be peacemakers, peace bearers, connecting people with God's peace, don't expect sunshine and roses. Don't expect the Nobel Peace Prize. Don't expect rounds of rapturous applause as a result of what you've done. The reality is, and I'm sure you've all experienced it, if you wade into a fight, you get punched by both sides. I've experienced this on a number of occasions at our after-school club. You get in the middle of something, you get hurt. Whether that's physically or emotionally, there are going to be times where you, with the best will in the world, the best intentions, decide to try and bring some peace to a family situation. And before you know it, you've brought peace between the two fighting factions because they've united against you. They're having a great time slagging you off on WhatsApp. And you're left feeling terrible because there's a cost to peacemaking. We think it's going to be great. 
But if we know anything from Jesus' example, that we will be at times misunderstood. Our actions will be misconstrued. We might well be mistreated. And I don't think it's a mistake that the following beatitude is very simply, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of righteousness, because of our living the way Jesus lived, because of our Christ-likeness, we will get persecuted. We will get people who misunderstand us, who want to explain what we're doing in a completely different way to the way we intended. People lying about us, people saying bad things about us because they don't understand or they don't want to understand. So the challenge for us is as we go into this world wanting to bring God's peace, wanting to connect people with God's peace, we need to recognize it's going to be costly. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But boy, is it needed. As we prayed earlier, just a reminder of how broken our world is. You probably don't need to go beyond your hall of residence, your workplace, your home, to recognize there are broken relationships. Things are fractured. People are hurting. And they need that shalom, that peace of God. As I was reading my Bible this morning, a verse really jumped out to me. When we talk about the armor of God, we talk about shields and swords. But right at the end, it talks about feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. When we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about taking the gospel out into the world, the good news, it's the good news of shalom. The good news that you can know peace with God. You can know peace inside yourself. You can know peace in your relationships with others. That's the good news. That's the exciting thing we get to be part of in our broken communities, is taking the good news of peace. There is great good news. You can be right with God. You can have peace in your heart and mind. You can have peace in your relationships. All made possible by connecting with the Prince of Peace himself. And as we go, and as we do this, as we connect people with the Prince of Peace, as we act as the Prince of Peace acts, we will be recognized by the world as children of God. We will share the family likeness with the Prince of Peace himself. I want to pray for us. And what I want to pray for us is around this up, in and out. So what I'd like you to do is bow your heads and maybe think about which of those three things you most need right now. Is it you're facing a really tough situation and you want to just reconnect with Jesus? The worship earlier was such a great way of saying, Jesus, you are king. You're the one I'm looking to. And maybe you just need to experience a bit more of that knowledge of God and his peace with you. Maybe actually you need to do a bit of a transaction with God now. You need to give him that exchange in prayer. Bring some of that stuff that's weighing you down, that's leading you in the wrong path and exchange that for some of his peace. Or it might be you need his peace in you so you can share it with those around you. You're aware of a particular situation that needs God's peace right now. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Prince of Peace who reconciles us to you, who makes it possible for us to enter your presence with confidence and not fear. And so, Lord, we just pray now for those of us here who really need to experience your peace. Like those pipes lining up with the source of the water, Lord, I pray even now your spirit would be aligning people's hearts and minds with you that they might be filled with your peace, that they might experience your peace.
Lord, for those of us here who are weighed down by all kinds of stuff, Lord, we bring it to you now. We are offering it to you now. And we leave it with you. And with open and empty hands, we say, Lord, will you fill us again with your peace? We exchange that stuff for the peace which passes understanding. And Lord, for those of us who face a tricky week, where there's difficult relationships, difficult conversations to be had, Lord, would you fill us with your peace that we can be peace bearers in those situations? That with that sense of humility, wisdom and sacrifice, we would be willing to get involved and point people towards you and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.